Welcome, folks, to the second episode of No Conference for Old Men, the podcast where a couple of old guys are talking college basketball, focused on the Houston Cougars and the Big 12, with a bit of national big game coverage sprinkled in along the way. What I didn't mention last week is that our intention is to keep these episodes to what we call bite-sized chunks of 30 to 45 minutes, allowing folks to more easily digest our podcast during their commutes to and from work or if they choose to go out and exercise. So we'll see how well we stay true to that principle today as we try to pack 14 team previews into this episode. Episode one was dedicated to a detailed view into the 23-24 Houston Cougars team. So for those interested, please do go back to listen and get some details surrounding the great Houston Cougars program. Today, we move on to the Big 12 Conference Preview, where we'll be walking through each of the current 14 team member programs. I'm Steve Chang, your co-host for the podcast, Houston grad of 82, and the big data analytics geek of the show that will be breaking down the teams and games based on advanced analytics. And Tom, you want to do a short intro? Sure. My name is Tom Lidiak. I'm a fellow U of H alum. I uh, went to school during the five Slamma Jamma days. Uh, I'm a college basketball junkie. I uh, really love Houston Cougar hoops, and I'm entering my 30th year of basketball coaching. Okay, so let's get right into it. We both have our notes and spreadsheets ready, and today we're going to dive into our Big 12 conference preview with perspective on how we see Houston's new conference as a whole and what to expect as our Cougars join their new conference mates in what we believe to be the toughest basketball conference in the land. Tom, from a coach's perspective, what's your view of the Big 12, and what should the Cougars expect heading into uncharted territories in this beast of a hoops conference? Well, Steve, when you look at uh, the 14 teams of the, of the Big 12, there are three coaches programs that stand out above the rest. Uh, in college basketball, since you have so much uh, roster turnover and all this, usually the head coaches are the star. And there's three really good ones, I believe, in the Big 12. You have to start with uh, Bill Self. Bill Self is already in the Hall of Fame, so he's, you know, he's a Hall of Fame coach. You have to go with Kelvin Sampson, future Hall of Famer, in, uh, in, in my opinion. And then... Uh, you have Scott Drew. So you have, uh, you know, the Houston program, Kansas program, Baylor program. Uh, getting back to Coach Self, you know, what makes him so special? Well, first of all, he's at Kansas, so he gets some of the best players in the country. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's more than just getting the best players. Uh, Self, his greatness comes from getting these great players, uh, getting them to play together. They play hard, you know, get them to play hard defense, get them to be unselfish with the basketball. He's adaptable. You know, he's not going to try to put a, a square peg in a round hole or vi- vice versa. So self, uh, you know, there's yeah, completely a, a de- agree. Yeah, there's adaptability. Uh, his teams are always fun to watch. Uh, offensively, they always have good movement, fun team to watch. Uh, so, you know, self is, like I said, he's a Hall of Famer. Always say good coaches, you know, they can identify problems. Uh, great coaches, they can identify the problem and then fix it. Bill Self has never lost uh, more than three games in a row in his career, which I think is... Uh, That's incredible. Uh, it, it, it's amazing. It goes back to his Oral Roberts days. He started there. He went on to Tulsa, uh, Illinois for a year, and now he's at uh, now he's at Kansas. So you're looking at 787 uh, wins, two national championships. Uh, he's 60 years old. He did have the health scare uh, last year with whatever was going on with his That's heart. Right. So... That could be a concern uh, for Kansas. You know, we'll just we'll just have to see. Everybody's different. You just don't know how you know different people will respond to the stress of the type of job that the college basketball coaches have. You know, um, it's it's affected some coaches in the past. You had Don Haskins at uh, at UTEP. You know, he had a heart problem and probably a little less intense. Uh, you had it's escaping me right now, but uh, oh, Bob Huggins, Bob Huggins, you yeah, know, yeah, still had the. He had the heart scare too, so we'll see. You know, hopefully, hopefully in Bill Self's case, it doesn't affect his, uh, you know, his coaching ability. But uh, you know, it's 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 got to be a concern. Moving on to Kelvin Sampson, I'd put him ahead of uh, a Scott Drew, even though Scott Drew has a national championship. The only thing that's missing from Coach Sampson's pedigree right now is 
a national championship. And Steve and I being Houston Cougar fans, hopefully, hopefully that comes in and our and our lifetime. You know, Kelvin is he just turned sixty eight the other day. So hopefully he has a few years left in him. Seven hundred and thirty one wins. Um and you have to remember he was out of college basketball coaching for six years while he was in the NBA. Uh, definitely Kelvin Sampson, Hall of Fame coach. You know, what makes him a Hall of Fame coach? We talked about it last week. Kelvin Sampson hasn't changed from his Montana Tech days. His teams are, you know, it's consistency from year to year. He's not going to waver on, 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 on the culture, his belief system. Going to play tough defense, going to rebound, going to share the, share the basketball on offense. Accountability. You know, there's no, uh, every college coach has X's and O knowledge. Uh, the difference is going to be, uh, the accountability, and that's where execution comes in. Um, you know, there's no uniqueness. It's the accountability that the head coach has his players uh, adhere to. And then we go to Scott Drew, Baylor coach, uh, 52 years old. So Scott Drew probably has quite a few years left in his coaching career, 441 wins, one national championship, spent every year, I believe, at Baylor except for one at Valparaiso. Uh, Scott Drew's another coach. He's a man-to-man coach now, but uh, there was a time where Baylor actually was uh, played a lot of zone. That was their primary defense. Uh, a lot of people thought it was a 1-3-1, but it was actually a 1-1-3, and the wings were just brought up high. But I think uh, the Baylor program took a step up when uh, when Drew went from his zone, his 1-1-3, to man-to-man. Once again, uh, Scott Drew's teams, they're going to be tough, tough defensively uh, for the most part. You know, they're going to take good shots, take care of the ball. So, yeah, those those will be my top three coaches. And not coincidentally, those will be the top three teams <laughs> in, in the conference. And then we get to the, the, the next tier of coaches. I only had one coach, Steve, in the next tier, which is Jamie Dixon. Okay. Uh, at, the, at TCU. But – you know, there's some caveats there. His best record so far at TCU in the Big 12 is 9-9. Nine and nine. Yep. He did make uh, a couple of Sweet 16s and Elite 8, but that's been about 15 years ago, and that was at, that was at Pitt. At Pitt, yeah. Yeah, he's got like 467 wins. So I would put uh, Jamie Dixon in, in, in the next tier. And then we basically have all the rest. Yeah, um, yeah. Some coaches that just get started, like Josh Eilert, he's interim coach of West Virginia. He hasn't coached uh, a game yet. Uh, just don't know how that's going to go. Jerome Tang, he's like 57 years old, first year as a coach, but he did win 26 games. Yeah, you have some other uh, – Porter Mosier yep. at OU. Uh, basically a 500 coach in the in the Big 12 at OU. I would say pretty much he's on the hot seat. Uh, he's going yeah, into I would agree. I believe he's going into like his, uh, his his third year. You have uh, we'll see about Rodney Terry at Texas. Uh, Rodney Terry's been a head coach at several different places. He was at uh, uh, UTEP, and I'm forgetting where the other the other school he was at. I think it was Fresno State. Came in as an interim after Chris uh, Beard got dismissed. Texas had a good season, but we'll see. Uh, you know, we'll see how Texas does. With Rodney Terry, you know, be, being the head coach from uh, uh, from the get go, and then you have uh, Mike Boynt in Oklahoma State. He might be on the hot seat too. Yeah, agree. And uh, but pretty much, you have a pretty much a tier system, I believe, in in, in the coaches uh, with with Self Drew, Kelvin Sampson, uh, Jamie Dixon, and the next tier, and then uh, and then all the rest. Uh, we'll say T.J. Otzelberger at Iowa State. You know, he's fairly young coach. No, that that's awesome insight from a coach's perspective. Thanks for that, Tom. It, and really, the analytics are also really telling in terms of the foundation by which the Big 12 has been built. Again, just to level set, folks, Ken Palm overall adjusted efficiency margin will always be my go-to reference point when I look at the analytics. Then I dig in deeper into specifically both adjusted offensive and defensive efficiency margins. Uh, that make up that overall efficiency score that ranks or assesses each team. And just another reminder for folks, my threshold when looking at these stats is that if you're top 40 or better in a particular area or statistic, it's a major strength. And if you're 175 or below, you've got problems that really need addressing. 
and anything in between, you're basically at varying levels of good or okay, all with a view towards trying to make the tourney and having a chance to advance. So as we look into the Big 12 Conference as a whole, you and I have both claimed that it's the undisputed number one hoops conference in the land, and hence why we name the No Conference for Old Men podcast. So we made the comment in episode one that the Big 12 stature in hoops dwarfs even the SECs in football. So I wanted to put that to the test based on analytics. And so to do so, I downloaded all of the final 22-23 season stats and rankings from Ken Palm into a spreadsheet and began doing some scenario analysis, taking a look at the top hoops conferences holistically, one, as they stood at the end of last season, two, after round one of realignment with Houston, Cincinnati, BYU, and UCF joining the Big 12, and then three, a final round after the massive realignment with Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah joining the Big 12, UT and OU joining the SEC, USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington joining the Big 10, and Stanford, Berkeley, and SMU joining the ACC in 2024. The results are very interesting to say the least, Tom. If you look at maybe what we call the power six conferences in basketball based on last season's Ken Palm overall adjusted efficiency margin, we had, as no surprise, the Big 12 at an eye-popping average ranking of 29 across all 10 teams. Uh, The Big 10 was at an average ranking of 53 across their teams. Big East came in third at an average ranking of 67. The SEC came in fourth with an average ranking of 74. The PAC came in fifth with an average ranking of 87. And then sixth out of the power six conference, so to speak, was the ACC at a lowly 105, which is a bit eye-opening. With this season's conference makeup, the rankings are basically the same. So as we add those four teams, the Big 12's ranking goes down a little bit to 34 from the original 29. And then when you look at 24 and 25 with all the different changes in schools moving around, even with that massive shakeup, the overall rankings remain the same, one through five, if you take the pack out for power conferences. Now, the Big 12 at that point, the average ranking goes down to 39, still exceptional when you're talking about 16 teams and your average Kempom ranking is 39. The Big 10 really just improves a little bit, less than one ranking point to 52. The SEC probably makes the biggest jump up to 68.5 from 74, but even that's just a few ranking points. But the shocker is the ACC. That goes all the way down to 117. That's 117 is their average Ken Palm ranking. By comparison, if you add the Mountain West Conference and you try to do a comparison there, they're actually even better than the ACC at an average ranking of 98. Now, the ACC will always be relevant with elite programs like North Carolina, Duke, and Virginia. But can they truly be considered a power conference in hoops at that point? I'm really not that sure. Now, if we zero in further and focus on, you know, what differentiates the Big 12 and what makes them so elite and above all of their peer conferences, it's clearly on the defensive side, as you had mentioned earlier, as you highlighted some of the top teams, where every single team was top 60 in adjusted defensive efficiency margin, except for Baylor at 107 last year. And I believe that last season was hopefully an aberration for Baylor on that side of the ball. And we're going to see that defensive ranking really pick back up this season. So basically, you can count on every single night being a grind in the Big 12 with no nights off. Crazy good and only getting tougher with the additions of Houston this season and Arizona next season. Now, As we focus on the Big 12 Conference and start getting into projecting how things will go this coming season, Tom and I individually came up with our respective independent 1 through 14 projections list. Tom, I'll tell you, it was shocking how similar our two lists were. 
without any previous discussion whatsoever. In fact, our top seven teams, if you can believe it, were identical. And if you go through the entire 14-team ranking between you and myself, there was only one team uh, that was Oklahoma State that was two places or more difference between our two rankings. Either you know we, we've got it down pat or we're <laughs> both completely off, right? Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how we do in our projections this season. So uh, if I quickly do, go down the list of our, uh, I'll call it our consensus list. We had Kansas, number one, no surprise. University of Houston, number two. Baylor, number three, as you had kind of hinted at earlier in your, uh, your conference overview. We had Texas, fourth. Kansas State, fifth. TCU, sixth. Iowa State, seventh. And that was, again, as a reminder for folks, we had identically predicted these top seven. Now, once we get down to eight, we have a tie between Texas Tech and West Virginia. Then Cincinnati came in at 10th. Then we had another tie in OU and OSU. And then bringing up the rear is BYU at 13th and UCF at 14th. So yeah, that's kind of where we stand in terms of the overall rankings. Now let's get into a more detailed team assessment. So Tom, you want to kick things off and provide your coach's perspective on Kansas going into next season? Sure, Steve. Uh, you know, going into the season, I think uh, the Big 12 runs through Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, you look at Kansas basketball, they've won 19 of the last 22 champ- regular season championships in the Big 12. So, you know, Kansas, until somebody knocks them off, I'm going to have them at number one. Bill Self, Hall of Fame coach, great support at Kansas, Fog Allen. You know, it's got to be, if it's not the top venue in college basketball, you know, it's it's got to be in the, in, in the top three. I mean, the guy who invented basketball was a, was a head coach there. You know, so a lot of history there. But let's get to uh, Kansas season. They did lose a five-star transfer from Texas. Uh, Arterius Morris was dismissed from the team. Like I said, former five-star guard. He was going to probably uh, start at the two-spot, but he's been dismissed. A couple of incidences, one at, when he was at Texas, another one uh, uh, after he committed to KU. The big off-season portal addition for Kansas, though, is Hunter Dickinson from, uh, from Michigan. And whether it's Hunter Dickinson or uh, Zach Eady from Purdue, they're the, they're the top big men. And another thing I'll say from a coach's perspective about uh, big men and Bill Self is Bill Self uh, is really, really good at incorporating big men into his offense. Matter of fact, goes all the way back to his Oral Roberts days around Christmas time when things weren't just yelling with his team. And he came up with something called the high-low offense that he used for many years, uh, took it to Tulsa, took it to Illinois, and even used it at Kansas first got there doesn't use the high low anymore because the ball screen offense took over but he does run sets and you'll see you'll see a little bit of the uh, high low offense in um, in Kansas and Bill Self's offense so Hunter Dickinson you know self is they're going to use him yeah, and you have uh, yeah you have Dewan Harris coming back possibly the best point guard in the country you have Kevin McCuller yep Formerly a Texas Tech, uh, Naismith, Defensive Player of the Year, semifinalist uh, two times. You might want to say he is kind of like a, what they call a glue guy, kind of like a Swiss Army knife. He does a little bit of everything. He does a little bit of score, a little bit of rebounding uh, and assist. Big men, another portal transfer was Nick Timberlake. Shot 41% from three. Yep, He's a uh, 6'4 guard. From uh, Towson, the same school that gave us Justin Gorham. That's, that's right. pretty much. Uh, and then you have K, you have KJ Adams, who I believe had 36 starts uh, last season. So, got a solid starting five. You got a Hall of Fame coach. You have uh, the Kansas basketball tradition. Coming off the bench, they added Christian Brown's uh, brother, uh, Santa Clara uh, transfer Parker Brown, six ten. He's going to play a little four and five. So 
And then you have a couple of freshmen, highly talented freshmen coming in, five-star El Marco Jackson. Uh, I'm sure they'll come off the bench. But, you know, Kansas looking solid from a coaching standpoint, also from a uh, personnel personnel standpoint. Okay. No, that that's awesome insight. As you had stated, from an analytics perspective as well, Kansas, they're the elite standard bear in the Big 12, almost always top 25 in both offensive and defensive adjusted efficiency margin. Good pace, usually in the 60s and 70s. Always shoot the ball well, defends every shot. Effective field goal percentage defense was ranked number 32 last season. And an interesting stat from Haslam Metrics, last year, Kansas was 29th in points off steals. And it, I think as you had highlighted earlier on in outlining KU, the genius of Bill Self is that he adjusts each year. It isn't always a cookie cutter approach with him, which is amazing. Because if you look at KU, their D is always very strong. But how he gets there, he adjusts it each and every year. And so if they've got shop blockers or big men, you'll see the stats there you know, creep up for the year. If they're small, like they were last year, then it's all around steals and getting points off steals. So it's really, really elite stuff from a coach that is able to adjust along the way. Now, if you look at from a personnel perspective, I think as you had highlighted, they had lost Jalen Wilson, Grady Dick, and then late, late in the offseason, Arterior Morris for the rape charge. They've got seven new players coming in. And I think as you highlighted as well, the two big gets were Nick Timberlake from Towson and then Hunter Dickinson from Michigan. If I look at Bart Torvik and try to project their three key players coming into the season, it would likely be Hunter Dickinson with a plus minus of 9.3, which is really elite numbers there. Kevin McCuller at plus six. Dewan Harris at also plus six. And then if you want to start talking about an X factor, so to speak, for the program, if they're really going to reach their ceiling, I think a key is going to be J.K. Adams moving to the forward slot, being able to pair effectively with Dickinson. K.J. Adams was great last year, but he was, was really primarily playing the five. He's going to have to prove to be just as effective meshing with Dickinson playing a little bit further out on the perimeter. Now, if we go back to Houston, I know we gave a detailed view last week. Maybe we give a a quick update for folks that didn't get a chance to listen to last week's episode in your take on Houston. Yes, Steve, I'd like to tweak my prediction for the starting five (laughs) from from last week. I'm allowed to to do that, right? Absolutely. Uh, you know, last week I, I had Shad Cryer and Sharp in the backcourt. You know, Sharp's, uh, he, he's a one in the two. So uh, I don't think we're going to see Shad Cryer and Sharp on the floor at the same time. But my prediction uh, would be Shad uh, Cryer at the one and two. And it's going to be a toss up between Dunn and Arsenal. And right now, I'm going to give, just because of experience, I'll give it to, uh, to Dunn. And then I have Terrence. Terrence probably coming off the, off the bench. Uh, shark coming off the bench. That's that's a really good bench. <laughs> it is. That's a, that's a really it good is. bench. And we're not even talking about Wilson either. So it's almost like an embarrassment of riches uh, we have at the at those spots. Uh, I still think opening night we'll see Francis and Roberts in the front court. But it wouldn't surprise me as the season goes on if we see uh, uh, Joseph Tugler start with Roberts as the, as the, as the season goes on. So that's the way I see it as far as uh, the starting five and, and, and the bench players can overlook Ramon Walker. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, he led us to the elite eight uh, due to some injuries. Uh, he had to play a lot and he was banged up too. He had that wrist wrist problem his freshman year, but he made some great, Culture plays for the Cougs heading down the stretch in in, uh, in conference play and then in the tournament. So, you know, I hope we get to see a little bit of uh, Ramon. I'm not sure where he would play, whether he would come in and play a bit, a little bit at the four. You know, he'd be an undersized four. Uh, the backcourt, you know, it's, it's, it's crowded. It'd be very, very tough to get any kind of significant playing time there. But uh, 
One guy I might have overlooked uh, last week is, uh, I don't know, we might see a little bit of Jacob McFarland, 6'10 hmm. kid from, uh, from California. We'll just have to see. Like I, I said last week, uh, we're not at practice, you know, so we don't get yeah. to see, uh, you know, how how quickly they're picking up uh, picking up on stuff, usually on, on, on defense and rebounding. You know, they all pretty much are offensively offensively skilled. Uh, it's the big thing is picking up, picking up. Uh, you know, Division One basketball defense and, and and rebound. Just the intensity also too from from the high school game to the college game. Awesome. Now, from a, a stats perspective, as we covered last week as well, Houston is elite on both offensive and defensive adjusted efficiency margin, ranking in the top eleven all of the last three years in both categories. We play super slow, really will be the slowest paced team in the Big 12 at a ranking of 339. We don't shoot great, but we offensive rebound like heck, ranking fourth last year. So we get more shots than most of our opponents. We defend every shot with effective field goal percentage defense ranked second last season based on Ken Palm and added a focus on turnovers or causing turnovers on D ranking 39th last year. And so really, really elite stuff and similar to self, right? Coach Sampson is able to adjust the defense as well to maximize the talent that he has on hand. We start looking at personnel makeup. We lose Marcus Asser, Jairus Walker, and Tremont Mark, really critical players from last year's team. We've got six new players, and for the main players that we're adding, LJ Cryer from Baylor, Damian Dunn from Temple, and then we've got that four-star freshman for Joseph Tugler that we're both so high on. And if you look at the key players that we expect to really drive success this coming year for Houston, it's going to be Jawan Roberts at a plus 8.5, a Jamal Shedd, uh, our second best player, at a plus 5.7, and then LJ Cryer, who was a plus 5.0 at Baylor last season. Now, from an X-factor perspective or really a key difference maker in order to, to reach our peak this coming year. I know everyone's kind of highlighting Terrence Arsenault. We even talked quite a bit about Terrence Arsenault uh, coming into this year, and he does need to have a big year. But I'm going to throw a surprise name, Malik Wilson. And I know we just got news this week that he's injured, so that's going to slow him down. But I think he is going to be an X factor. He was you know, sat out last season for us. He played one year. It was injury filled at Texas Tech the year before. Uh, but before that, he was at Louisiana Lafayette, I believe. And he was, he had a great, you know, great, I think two seasons there. A really, really fast player, extremely athletic, kind of a miniature sized Tajay Moore. And so no one's talking about him, but I actually think if he gets healthy quick, he's actually going to make a huge difference, especially on the defensive side for us. So how about Baylor? Baylor, we had number three. What are your thoughts on Baylor, Tom? Well, Steve, with Baylor, uh, we start to get to teams that have a lot of, a lot of question marks just because of the uh, roster turnover. Baylor loses LJ Cryer to us. They lost the freshman Keontae George and Adam Flagler to the NBA. They do have a couple of five-star freshmen it looks like that they're going to be relying on. Uh, there is a Jacoby Walter, one of those five stars. And then uh, they're going to be starting a their five-man. I believe his name is pronounced Eves Missy, 6'11". Okay, five-star freshman. Um, so the, those are question marks. You know, you're, you know how it is, Steve, when, you know, five-star freshmen, they get into college, you, know, you never know what's going to happen. Yep. Uh, so it might take Baylor a while to get – their sea legs, if you want to say that, uh, uh, going, they might be pretty ugly at the beginning of the year. They do have one full-time starter returning, Jalen Bridges. They do have an addition. Uh, I believe his name is KJ Dennis. He was the Mac player of the year at Toledo. Another player they got from the portal, Jaden Nunn and uh, a couple of Juco's overall bottom line, uh, eight new players and five returning. Uh, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's quite a bit of turnover there. So, uh, yeah, it might take Baylor some time, 
but they're not they're not the only ones. Uh, pretty much the rest of the conference is going to be looking at this same same situation. Uh, but the difference here is uh, uh, Baylor's got some talent. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Okay. Uh, from a statistics perspective, and this is starting to sound like a broken record, but this is the case at the top of the conference. But Baylor as well, elite in both offensive and defensive adjusted efficiency margin until last year on D, where they were probably the worst in the last four years at a ranking of 107. They play at a slow pace, ranked 215th in the country, adjusts their offense each year. And here's a case where Drew has also become an elite coach. And I'll be honest, early in his career, I did not consider him an elite coach. And he's just really gotten better. And if you look at how they perform each year, they're always ranked very high on offensive efficiency margin. But if you look at the details, he's one that will actually adjust on the offensive side each year, but kind of maintain that that high consistency of being elite. I think the, the one Achilles heel last season was their turnover rate was very high on offense at a ranking of 236th in the country. They're great at offensive rebounding, ranking second, very similar to ourselves. And historically, they've been strong on D and high on steals as well until last season when they were at 239. So I think, you know, one question that folks will ask is as part of the Baylor program, is the the exceptional D up to last season really based on Jerome Tang? Or is Scott Drew going to be able to to pull them back up and become elite on defense again? So it'll be interesting to see. If you look from a team makeup perspective, they lose Adam Flagler, Keontae George, and LJ Cryer to Houston. They've got seven new players, adding Ray J. Dennis from Toledo, Jacoby Walker, the freshman five-star player, as you had highlighted, and Jaden Dunn from VCU, who was a 40% three-point shooter. If you look at the key players that, you know, from a Bart Torvik player plus minus perspective, I expect Ray J. Dennis, who was a plus five last year, to pick up where uh, Flagler left off from a point guard perspective. Jalen Bridges, a returning player, was a plus 7.4 at Baylor. And then Jonathan uh, Chamwa Chachua, hopefully I pronounced that correctly, was a plus 4.3. So those are the individuals I expect to lead the charge. The X factor for me, in order for them to reach their, their peak, so to speak, in terms of potential is... Jaden Nunn from VCU. He's going to be key from a 3 and D perspective to loosen things up inside for Baylor. So it'll be interesting to see how things go there. So if we go down the list to number four, we both had Baylor, not Baylor, Texas, Ashley. So Tom, uh, what do you think of Texas coming into the season? Uh, Texas, uh, a lot of new players too. Uh, the big offseason portal edition was Max Abmus yep. from... Oral Roberts, two-time Summit League Player of the Year, 22 points, uh, four rebounds, four assists. Key thing here is uh, can he duplicate it going against Big 12 competition? Yeah, you know, he won't be playing in the Summit League, uh, Uwe Pewey, uh, uh, teams like that, South Dakota State. Uh, no offense to them, but it's going to be a step up in, in, in competition. And Texas is going to be counting on uh, uh, Max Abmus not to just be a role player, but to be one of the you know one of their top players. Two man, they bring back Tyrese Hunter. Uh, three man, they got a transfer from UCF, Ithiel Horton. Four man, former five star um, Dylan Mitchell, and then the five man is Dylan Disu, who was actually the Big Twelve Tournament MVP, six nine two twenty. So if you look at Texas, uh, they have a talented starting five on the bench. They bring in some other uh, transfers. Uh, you got Caden Shedrick from Virginia, transfer at 6'11", 220. You have a UT Arlington transfer. He was the WAC Rookie of the Year, Chindle Weaver. Uh, he's a guard. You got Chris Johnson, another guard. He was a high uh, four-star former Kansas commit. And then you have uh, good old Brock Cunningham coming back for – Another year. 
to provide whatever Texas needs, uh, uh, you know, on a particular night. So Texas, you know, they got some pieces coming back. They're adding some pieces. All right. Again, from a statistics perspective, Texas as well. Elite on offensive and defensive adjusted efficiency margin. Top 15 in both last year. Pace is actually pretty good by Big 12 standards, ranking 98 in the country. But it's really tough for me to to actually decipher this team with Rodney Terry being a a new coach. So we've only got one year to go off of. Uh, They were a good shooting team. uh, Elite from two-point percentage, ranking number 36 in the country. If you look at their D, even though it was considered elite overall, really no one stat stands out other than forcing turnovers and scoring quickly based on those turnovers. And I think in that case, based on Hosel metrics, they were ranked 15th in the country. Now, if I look at their roster makeup, they lost Marcus Carr, Serge Abari Rice, Tim Allen, and Christian Bishop. That's a lot of losses. Seven new team players here. And as you had highlighted, Max Abmus from Oral Roberts, Caden Shedrick from Virginia, and Chris Johnson, the four-star freshman, are probably the, the key new players, so to speak. And who we expect to actually contribute a lot to their success this year is clearly Max Abmus. From a point guard perspective, he was a plus 5.2. Last year, playing for Oral Roberts, Dylan Disu was a really eye-popping plus 8.0 for Texas last year. Then Tyrese Hunter, as important of a player as he was, he was only a plus 1.9 last year. So he needs to pick that up. Now, when we start talking about an X factor for the team to hit their potential, I'd say sophomore Dylan Mitchell is going to be key. I think everyone felt he was going to be a one-and-done superstar last year. We saw glimpses of his athletic ability, but really he's a kid that I think deserves the minutes, and we're going to see what he's able to do with those minutes this coming season. So with that, why don't we go to number five, Kansas State. Okay, Steve, Kansas State, led by Jerome Tang. Uh, Jerome Tang uh, finally got... An opportunity of a head coach, I believe at 56 or 57 years old. You know, he was a Baylor assistant for a lot of different years, had a 26-win season. So kudos to Coach Tang uh, for that for that great season at K-State. They lose the really good guard, Noel. They lose another uh, Keontae Johnson, uh, another really, really good player. So they've lost their probably their best best two players. I think this year maybe take a take a step back. A lot of concerns, a lot of question marks because uh, so many so many new players uh, are coming in. They're going to have to have some of their role players step up and be more than more than just role players, or they're going to they're going to struggle. A uh, couple of additions: uh, the Kaluma kid from Creighton, uh, really really good addition, and then you got Tyler Perry from from North Texas. He's another really good uh, good addition. So, you know, bottom line. They could be top five. They could be sixth or seventh. We got them at uh, what, Steve? We got them at, at number five. five. Yeah, yep. five. So, like a bunch of other teams in the Big Twelve, you know, they could they could be five or they could be ten. Yeah, just completely depends. agree. That's uh, awesome. On, just depends on how the pieces uh, pieces come together. Awesome. From a statistics perspective, you know, if you look at Ken Pong offensive and defensive adjusted efficiency margin. Kansas State was really strong, not elite, but very, very strong with both in the top 40 last season. If you look at pace, they're the fastest in the Big 12 with a ranking of 42 last season. And so it'll be interesting to see if Jerome Tang keeps that up or if it was really the result of the team makeup last year. Uh, So we'll be keeping an eye on that. Offensively, they're good but elite at scoring off of steals, really manufacturing points. Uh, And so they were ranked 30th from a Hazel metrics perspective. And on the defensive side, they focus on turning opponents over and defending the three-point shot, coming in at ranking number 24th in Ken Palm for defensive three-point percentage. Now, if I look at their actual team makeup, as you highlighted as well, they lost Keontae Johnson, Marquise Noel, Ishmael Masood. From a, a new player perspective, they added 
players like Tyler Perry from North Texas State University, Art Kaluma from Creighton, and I don't know how you pronounce this, K. Kess Glover from Samford. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Who they're actually counting on to make huge contributions this year, I'd say Tyler Perry needs to pick up where they left off from a point guard perspective, and he was a plus 5.5 at North Texas State. You've got from a returning player perspective, Naquan Tomlin, who was a plus 5.1 for Kansas State last year. And I, I definitely expect Art Kaluma to play a much bigger role than he did at uh, at Creighton. And he was a plus 2.5 there, but really love his game and what he could potentially bring to the table. He was actually one of those kids that I was eyeing in the transfer portal as a potential ad for Houston last season. So disappointed we weren't able to pick him up. I don't even know if you were interested at that point, but uh, he's definitely what I would consider to be a Coach Samson type player. Now, from an X-Factor perspective, I actually expect Case Glover from Sanford to be able to play D as a six-foot shooting guard as the X-Factor. They're going to need scoring. Um, and so we'll be interested to see how he performs after the transfer, right? Yeah, Steve, a, a quick comment here. Like uh, Max Admus and Tyler Perry from North Texas, you, you don't know what how they're going to perform in the Big 12. You know, it's a yep. step up in competition. I think both both teams that they're on are asking them to be big parts as far as scoring goes. We have a player similar to them, Malik Wilson, and he can't even crack, uh, you know, maybe the top five yep. yards on our on our squad. Uh, yeah, so I just, no. wanted, I just wanted to make that point. Uh, uh, you know, it's uh, we'll ju- we'll just have to see. Yep, yeah, lots of unknown, but that, that's what yep. makes the season uh, fun and yep. really anticipated. So, and this is going all over the country too. It's not just a Big Twelve thing. It's uh, it's just about every basketball program in the country that's uh, that's dealing with this. Exactly. So why don't we jump to TCU at number six? TCU. Uh, already talked about Jamie Dixon. A couple additions there. You have Avery Anderson from Oklahoma State. Uh, Jameer Nielsen Jr. I'm old enough to remember when his father played. Yeah, the no original, kidding. The OG Jameer Nelson. <laughs> uh, but we have Jameer Nelson Jr. from um, from Delaware. And just like everybody else, Steve, Jamie Dixon's going to have he he lost some players, and now he's going to have to. Uh, mix in a bunch of bunch of new players in, but I give TCU, you know, the nod at number six just based on Dixon's uh, track record. Yeah, completely agree. No, that's awesome. From a statistics perspective, they were good on offense last year, surprisingly, at number fifty-three. Great on D, number twenty-three, and uh, Ken Palm adjusted efficiency margin. They were second fastest in pace at number 48. But, you know, the reality is every year before that, they were super slow at plus 250. So it's a, it's an interesting sign that Dixon could continue to evolve as a coach where he'll adjust even on offense to the makeup of the roster that he has. They have never shot well, and even last year they didn't shoot well given their efficiency margin on offense, and they were ranked 209th, but they were able to manufacture points off of steals, ranking number 24 in Hoslin metrics on points on steals. And offensive rebounding, they were also extremely strong at number 31. Now, if we look at roster makeup, they also experienced quite a bit of loss, losing Mike Miles, Damian Baugh, and Eddie Lampkin. They've got seven new players, and as you had mentioned, Jameer Nelson from Delaware, Avery Anderson from Oklahoma State, and Ernest Uday from KU, and a couple of other smaller smaller names, I guess not as prominent, Trivian Tennyson from Corpus Christi A&M, and Avery Anderson, another Oklahoma State. Uh, oh, I think I mentioned him already as well. But if you look at key players for success next year, Jacoby Coles, a returning player, was a plus eight. Jameer Nelson was a plus 5.3 before transferring here. And then Emmanuel Miller was a plus 4.2. Now, if I look at X Factor and for them to really reach their peak potential, I'm going to say Ernest Uday and how he fills the center spot is going to be key for them. Because they're losing a lot, a lot of size with Eddie Lampkin leaving the uh, the program. 
So moving forward, if we want to take a look at Iowa State at number seven. Sure, Steve. Uh, if any Iowa State fans are out there listening, uh, hopefully I don't have, <laughs> hopefully I don't offend you, but uh, they're led by TJ Otzenberger, good coach. Yep. You know, he's he's still fairly young, so, you know, he doesn't have like a, a, a you know, much of a tr- track record yet, but uh, solid coach. Bottom line on the Cyclones this year is they're going to be mixing in some new players with a couple of role players. Uh, so the guys they have coming back are, you know, they're just role players. Uh, you have uh, Taman, Lipsy, guard, averaged about seven seven points a game. You have Trey King, four. He was about six points a game. Uh, new players, you're mixing in uh, Keyshawn Gilbert from UNLV. He was like an 11-point scorer. Curtis Jones from Buffalo. Here you go, another player that's going to make the jump in competition. Uh, Jones averaged 15 points a game at Buffalo. You have Jackson Pavletsky from Wofford. Average 15 points a game. And then you do have uh, pretty much a much ballyhooed freshman, Omaha Bailu, I believe. I, I believe yep. he's, uh, he's an Iowa kid, 6'8", 215. So Iowa State fans are looking, uh, you know, they're looking forward to big things from uh, from Omaha. Yep, yeah, that's great. And if you look at it from a statistics perspective, Iowa State – Mediocre on offense, elite on defensive adjusted efficiency margin on Ken Palm, coming in at number eight last season. They don't shoot the ball well. Effective field goal percentage at ranking 211. They turn over the ball, unfortunately, uh, at a pretty high rate, ranking 273rd in the country. And offense is really focused on offensive rebounding, again, coming in at ranking 28th. Not great at defending shots. Their focus on defense is really forcing turnovers. And the the defensive turnover rate was ranked second in the country. Now, if I look at the team makeup, they lost Jaron Holmes, Gabe Kalsher, and Caleb Grill, who I actually really, really appreciated Caleb Grill's game. They've got eight new players. And as you'd highlighted, Keyshawn Gilbert from UNLV, Curtis Jones from Buffalo, Jackson Pavletsky from Wofford, and you've got that great freshman five-star coming in. For the, the kids that you expect the biggest contributions this year, uh, I would expect Keyshawn Gilbert, who was at a plus 2.2, Tamin Lipseg, that was a plus 6.0, and then Rob Jones from a returning player perspective. But I got to tell you, this is where it gets dicey because his player plus minus was a negative 0.6 last year for Iowa State. So we'll see. Some of these new kids are really going to have to come through. From an X-Factor perspective, I got to say it's Omaha Bilyeu, right? The five-star freshman. This is, I believe, the the first five-star freshman that they've had in, I don't know if it's ever, but it's certainly been a really long time. So this kid's really got to come through for them to, to hit their potential, right? So why don't we go to the next team? And we had a tie at eighth between Texas Tech and West Virginia. Why don't we take Texas Tech first? Yes, Steve. Uh, when we were talking about coaches earlier in the program, uh, I forgot to mention Grant McCaslin. Yeah, I'm He's a big a, fan, actually, of yeah, McCaslin. Yeah, uh, you look at his, you look at his uh, uh, coaching career, it's, uh, it's interesting. When, when Houston, when U of H plays Texas Tech, it's going to be a rock fight. Most definitely. Uh, yeah, I don't know. First one to first one to thirty, first one to forty <laughs> is is it's going to win that game. Uh, they're they're going to be a mirror image of uh, of, of U of H and Kelvin Sampson's program. It might take him a couple of years. Uh, let, let's see if Texas Tech uh, people are going to have the the patience uh, while he tries to build a roster and build build his culture there because he does have a bunch of a bunch of new guys come in. A lot of new players and not much returning, but if you look at uh, Coach McCaslin's background, he's he was a JUCO coach. You know, uh, when you're a JUCO coach, you have a different roster just basically every year. So he's, you know, this is not going to be anything unusual for him. He went to the next level of basketball, D two Midwestern State. He went to Arkansas State, went to North Texas. Uh, so very good records there. Personnel-wise, I'm really not going to get into that. Uh, he returns Pop Isaacs at about 11 yep. points per game, and then a whole slew 
uh, of, of transfers. So they're my dark horse uh, yeah. as far as a, a team that might be a surprise, be Texas Tech, just based on uh, McCaslin. Yeah, I, I'm completely with you on that. My, my ranking is strictly based on the fact that they hired McCaslin. I'm a huge, huge fan of him as a coach, and I thought this was an exceptional get for Texas Tech, right, as a replacement after, uh, I'd say, two mixed years, right, the last two years. If you look at how they performed last year, Texas Tech was solidly good on both offensive and defensive adjusted efficiency margin, ranking in the top 70 in both. But quite honestly, these stats are meaningless, given that they've gotten McCaslin in. So I actually pulled in some of North Texas State University's statistics to give us a better flavor for how potentially Texas Tech will play. And so North Texas was, you know, they played at a very slow pace, ranking 363rd in the country. So that's almost University of Houston pace, right, in terms of (laughs) offense. They also did not shoot the ball well. And North Texas State offensive rebound was was crazy good as well, especially given their size, right? So they were ranked 36th in the country. They also manufacture points off of offensive rebounds with a field goal uh, attempt rate of number 29th in the country based on Hoslam metrics. Now, if I look at the team makeup, as you'd highlighted earlier, they've lost a ton. Kevin Obenor... Devion Harmon, Fardaz, A. Mack, and Jalen Tyson. They've got eight new players. Joe Toussaint from West Virginia, Darian Williams from Nevada, Warren Washington from Arizona State, uh, Cambridge from Auburn, and Chance McMillan from was it Grand Canyon University. It's, so it's huge roster turnover. It's tough to guess who's going to be the biggest contributors. I had guessed that Joe Toussaint from West Virginia at a plus 3.5 from Bart Torvik's player plus minus being a key player. Pop Isaacs, you had highlighted a returning player that was a plus 2.0. And then Warren Washington was the next player that I basically picked him because he had the the best plus minus of all the remaining players at 4.8. Now, from an X-Factor perspective, this is a bit of a guess as well. And this is Chance McMillan from Grand Canyon University. And what I'm going to be curious to see is whether his 44% three-point shooting is actually going to translate into the Big 12. So, So we'll have to see. But why don't we jump over to West Virginia? Also, tied, we had tied at, at eighth with Texas Tech. Yeah, West Virginia, uh, big news there was the Huggins uh, yeah. uh, thing. And then uh, the interim coach, Josh Eilert, coming on. He's never coached a game before as a head coach, so that'll be interesting. A lot of new players. They got, I believe, eight coming in. Big addition was Kirk Creesa coming over from Arizona. Two of the transfers not, might not even be eligible. Um, so we'll, we'll see about West Virginia. They did get a Syracuse big man. Uh, Jesse Edwards averaged 14 points a game. Another Manhattan transfer, Jose Perez. So bottom line, a lot of question marks. Uh, this one's just so hard for me to predict. I'm just assuming that they're going to continue since it's, uh, you know, it's an assistant taking over that the stats will still hold true. Uh, they're great on offense, offensive adjusted efficiency, ranking 14th. They're really good on defense with an adjusted defensive efficiency margin rating of 58th in the country. Their pace was upper middle, I guess, at number 120. They shot okay, ranking 120th, but they also offensive rebound like heck, right? Another recurring theme within the Big 12, ranking number 26th in the country. Defense was high good at forcing turnovers, ranking 48th in the country. And of course, the big news is losing Bob Huggins. And if you look at the rest of the roster, they also lost Eric Stevenson, Trey Mitchell, uh, Kedrian Johnson, I guess, and Emmett Matthews. They've got a staggering nine new players, adding Jesse Edwards from Syracuse, Raekwon Battle from Montana State, Kirk Creesa from Arizona, which is good and bad. We'll see what version they get. A A cook from... Georgetown, and Jose Perez from Manhattan. 
I'm not going to go through any of the, the plus minus players because they're all transferring in. It, it's always hard to actually project coming into the Big 12. And I'd say the X factor is Coach Eiler and, and seeing if he's legit and he's able to actually coach at the Big 12 level. So with that, why don't we go to the next team? We had Cincinnati at 10th, Tom. A bunch of these teams, Steve. Uh, it's going to be the it's going to be the same synopsis. Yeah, losing a lot, bringing basically uh, you know a whole new squad in. I can't even remember who we're talking about again. Uh, what team are we at now? Uh, we're at Cincinnati. Cincinnati, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you got Wes Miller, their coach. I mean, I like Wes Miller, but yeah, so I just I. don't. I just don't know if you know if Cincinnati improved their roster much. So I'll I'll leave it to you with the analytics on this one. Yeah, I mean, if I if I look at them, they're they're high good, I guess, on offensive and defensive adjusted efficiency, both with a ranking in the the top sixties. Paces upper middle at ranking of one thirty four. Best thing on offense that they do is take care of the ball. Their turnover percentage is twenty first in the country. Really, if it translates it to the Big Twelve, they'd be best in the conference. On D, they hang their hat on defending the three point shot, ranking thirty eighth. Uh, in the country. And if I look at their roster, also heavy roster turnover, losing Landers Nolly, David DeJulius, Jeremiah Davenport, Micah Adams-Woods, nine new players as they try to upgrade their roster for Big 12 play. I don't know if it's going to be successful because some of the key players are going to be looking at as they brought in, like in Day-Day Thomas from Kilgore Junior College, Simos. Uh, Lukosius from Butler, Jamil Reynolds from Temple. And then there's this freshman that everyone keeps talking about, Jizzle James, who's Edgar and James's son as a new recruit. And I'm actually going to highlight that freshman, though it's risky. He would be the X factor because they need to speed up their backcourt to be able to compete in the Big 12. And really, in order for them to do that, the freshman's going to have to play, right? So yeah. why don't we go to number 11th? Let's do Oklahoma State first. Okay, Oklahoma State, once again, sound like a broken record. They lose quite a bit. They return two senior guards. Bottom line, they return a decent backcourt, but must incorporate uh, 10 new players, Steve, six of them freshmen. Let's see how that goes in the Big 12. <laughs> yeah, that that that's a... Tough, tough ask. And if you look at last year from a statistics perspective, they were the worst offensive adjusted efficiency margin at a ranking of 146. Now they were elite on defensive adjusted efficiency at number 12. Their pace is slow at 167. They really don't do much well on offense other than, uh, well, quite honestly, they don't do anything well. On D, they carry the day with challenging every shot with effective field goal percentage ranking at number 12. And they especially focus on two-point shots where they ranked number 11th. And then from a block shots percentage, they were also, I think, tops in the league ranking number 11th. Now, if you look at the, the makeup of the team, yeah, they've lost a ton, right? Lost Grant, lost Avery Anderson, Caleb Boone, Caleb, Asbury, and Musa Cisse. They've got seven new players that they need to incorporate in. Javon Small, the point guard from ECU, is probably the best that they've got. And the X factor that I'd highlight is Isaiah Miranda, Richard Freshman Center from North Carolina State. He really needs to get back to that level of play. He's had a lot of injuries, but I believe he was honorable mention all ACC. And then just injuries hit. So we'll see whether he's past that and you know what kind of a player that that they're going to have coming back. So why don't we hit the other team that was tied for 11th, Oklahoma. Oklahoma, same thing, led by Porter Mosier, had success at Loyola Chicago once again. Uh, loses a bunch, and he's going to have to incorporate uh, a, bunch of, a bunch of different guys in, into, his, uh, into his system. Okay. Looking at the stats, again, Oklahoma, they're good on offense, high good on defense with an adjusted defensive efficiency ranking of 48th. Pretty pretty rapid pace for Big 12 standards, ranking 77th. They shot okay, 
But Tom, they turned the ball over a ton, ranking 300th in the country. And guess what? They also don't offensive rebound, ranking 323rd. Terrible, terrible combo, quite honestly. That is. On D, they hang their hat on defending the three-point shot, ranking 41st. But they don't force turnovers, ranking 326th. If you look at the makeup of the team, they lost Grant Sherfield, Tanner Groves, Jalen Hill, Jacob Groves, nine new players with Javin McCollum from Siena, Rivaldo Suarez from Oregon, John Hughley from Pitt. And really from an X-Factor perspective, I think the kid from Pitt is going to have to be the X-Factor. And actually, I got it wrong. He was the the center that was ACC honorable mention his redshirt freshman year at Pitt. And so let's see what he can do as he joins the fray in the Big 12. So why don't we go to number 13th, and we've got BYU. BYU. Let's see what they do. They return about 10 players. Yeah. That's the good news. (laughs) That's the good news. Uh, the bad news is they return those 10 players. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they're all role players. And then they have two transfers from Charlotte, one from UC Irvine, average about the guy from UC Irvine, average about 15 points per game. So they do have a good home court, you know, advantage. So, you know, and BYU's hope is they, they win some games at home. Yeah, co- completely agree with you. They're okay on offense. High good on defensive adjusted efficiency margin on Kempom ranking at number 52. Their tempo is reasonably fast by Big 12 standards, ranking 65th. They shot only okay, and they're terrible with turnovers, with a conference worst ranking 308th in the country. On defense, they focus on defensive rebounding, ranking number 22nd in the country, and they don't foul. But here's the bottom line. They're not ready for Big 12 competition, right? And so if you look at their the, the makeup of the roster, they only lost Rudy Williams, Gideon George, only have three new players, transfer Ali Khalifa from Charlotte, Dawson Baker from UC Irvine. It really, the X factor is Pope is a coach, right? Yep. Is he good enough? Is he a, a Big 12 caliber coach? And that's going to be key. And now finally, we go to UCF, who we both had ranked 14th in the conference. Yeah, bottom line with uh, UCF, they lost uh, three of the four best players. Taylor Hendricks, the freshman, really good player, uh, ninth overall pick in the NBA draft. C.J. Kelly, who averaged 13. Ithiel Horton transferred to Texas. He averaged uh, 12 points per game. They're adding 10 new players, Steve. Yeah. Four, Four of them, four of them freshmen. And uh, they do return uh, Darius Johnson, who averaged uh, 10 points a game, three rebounds a game. He's a, he's a solid player. But once again, you have another coach that's going to have to assimilate all these uh, new players coming from here, come from there, and trying to, trying to put them into a cohesive unit. It's, uh, it's going to be tough. Yeah, d- definitely, definitely tough going. If you look at last year's stats, they were okay on – offense great on defense actually adjusted efficiency margin ranking 36th in the country tempo was slow ranking at 309 they don't shoot well with effective field goal percentages on ken palm at ranking 192 they have a high turnover rate ranking 278th but they were great at offensive rebounding last year at 31st in the country On defense, they focus on turnovers with turnover percentage at a really, really elite level, number 23 in the country. And points on steals, based on Haslam metrics, they were ranked 10th. So the question becomes, well, wow, actually the stats don't look so bad. Why are are they so low in the standings? Well, they lost everyone. Right, they truly lost everyone. You know, Taylor Hendricks, CJ Kelly, Ethiel Horton. They also lost their top recruits, uh, Joey Hart to Kentucky, Jaquan Walton to Memphis. I think they got nine or ten new players with Shamari Allen from Kansas City and Jalen Sellers from Ball State as the primary ones. Holy cow! If you're entering the Big Twelve Conference, the top <laughs> conference in the country. And those are your best players. I think you're in for a lot of trouble. 
And so from an X factor perspective, I, I don't even have an X factor for them. I think they will bottom out and they're going to have to replace Dawkins at the end of the season. So uh, it'll be a, a tough transition year for them. So anyways, I think that's it for our Big 12 preview in episode two of the No Conference for Old Men podcast. I think we uh, we broke our one of our primary <laughs> tenets of trying to keep it within four or five minutes. We're over an hour at this point. So we apologize for the folks that are listening, but hopefully you uh, you all enjoyed it. And again, would really appreciate it if you listen in and follow or subscribe to our podcast. Again, this is a labor of love for both Tom and myself and is not intended to be a money-making effort, but would really love your support to reinforce our view that there is an interest in the type of info we intend to provide. And please provide a rating and feedback either here or on our Twitter account, No Conference for Old Men. Thank you all again for listening. And episode number three will come out next week with our national top 25 review. So please be on the lookout to listen and download next week. Thanks again, everyone. Take care.